0: This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, chameleon collective founding partner, Freddie Laker. Hey everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. This week we're going to ask the question, if having a strong body is going to help build a strong mind and make you a great leader. And we've got the perfect guest on to answer that question, Robin Thurston. Robin is the founder and CEO of Outside. And if you're not familiar with Outside, it's a portfolio of diverse, active lifestyle brands. you know, if you're passionate about running, biking, climbing, hiking, skiing, fishing, yoga, or pretty much damn near any outdoor activity that people love, then Outdoor is probably going to have you covered across your books, TV, and media. They even get into map data, education, and have their own marketing agency. He's also the former CEO of Helix, a personal genomics company, and the former chief digital officer of Under Armour, a role he attained after selling his love for MapMyFitness, which had popular apps like MapMyRide and MapMyRun on iOS and Android. And through all of this, he's continued with a deep personal passion for sports at a professional level. Today, we're going to explore how love for the outside and the discipline that comes along with the dedication to fitness at the highest level can shape you as a leader. And here we go with another week of Oh, oh shit! Robin, welcome oh. to
1: Oh How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having
0: me. I'm glad you're here. I've been dying to talk to you. you got a really, really, really cool background and a hell of a run as an entrepreneur, and it looks like you're just getting started. So thank you. Thank you again for joining us. It's pretty obvious that you are passionate about anything having to do with going outside. I like that you're running the brand strong on the shirt today as well. <laughs> but you know, I think whether it's fitness, understanding the human body, and, and as i mentioned, a kind of a clear passion for the outdoors, this very obvious pattern in your career. How did this passion start for you?
1: Well, I was somewhat lucky that I grew up in a place like Colorado. I actually, the other day, I went for a hike with a guy named Mo Siegel, who was the founder of Celestial Seasonings. And was telling him in the late seventies, he launched a bike race called the Red Zinger, which was based off of one of the T's names as part of Celestial Seasonings. And if he had not brought that event to market, which was also for juniors, for young kids to ride and learn how to race, I probably wasn't a bike racer. I had this sort of fortunate situation that we had a great event like that in Colorado. I was young, I was skiing a little bit, but I, I got into cycling through that as a channel. And you know, then just sort of grew up in that world of road riding and you know, was fortunate enough to learn a lot of the hard lessons of that world.
0: I just moved to Asheville, North Carolina, or the region anyway, late last year and became kind of obsessed with hiking. So I'm developing my own kind of passion for going outside right now. But for people that aren't diehard cyclists uh, like me, is this like, you know, we talk 20 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles. Is it about speed? Is it about length? Is it about both those things? Like, you know, what what are we talking about here? Well, I mean, you know, obviously um, cycling, even
1: when we developed like map my ride it was interesting you know, like the average ride in the system for what i'd call a huge you know millions and millions of people was about 20 miles and maybe a little bit over an hour of riding same thing in running you know in running the average person runs 3 miles 3 times a week as an example that definition around general health and how people think about getting active whether it's hiking maybe a hike is 2 or 3 miles and has some vertical climbing in it But in many respects, it's about being outdoors. It's about connecting with nature and the impact that that has on people from a mental and physical health perspective. And I feel like I was fortunate enough to grow up in a world where I got to spend a huge amount of outdoor time and, you know, really seeing the world. I just think that I was super fortunate to have that experience. And my hope is that outside and brands that we have are sort of a way for people to get inspired to go do those things, right? And because they, they do have such a big impact. And unfortunately, we're not just in the US, but globally, we're on some pretty devastating trends in terms of how much time people
0: are spending outdoors. Yeah, sad, sad but uh, sad, but true. Yeah. So I, I want to divide this up a, a little bit. So I don't think anyone would argue that being in better shape and connecting with the outdoors is good for your mental health. I'd love to kind of take that when you start thinking about at the more professional level, the hardcore cyclists, hardcore runners, you know, how do you think preparing for, I assume this competitive type stuff. So like, how do you think preparing for professional sports has effectively prepared you to be a better entrepreneur, a better business leader?
1: Well, I mean, I think when you racing at at a high level, or, you know, again, I I don't care if you're a professional marathon or, you know, semi pro, you know, Athlete anywhere, I think that you lose a lot. I mean, literally, like you're in the game all the time. You're doing hundreds, could be hundred bike races a year. You know, the reality is, ninety nine percent of those you lose. You're you're not the winner, right? So this ability to sort of adapt and learn through failure, I think, is something that sports does incredibly well. Like, I actually don't think there are many venues that allow people to learn failure as much as sports, because like I said, I don't care which sport you're in. There's that great Michael Jordan saying about like how many shots he missed and how many games he lost. And I think that's really true about sports is that it does Mm -hmm. allow you to learn to adapt and really think about those losses and how you might go on to win something. I'm very modest about my semi-professional career in cycling, which is that I carried a lot of water bottles. I chased a lot of breakaways for better riders on the team. I'm super humbled by the fact that I got a ride with people like Oscar Kamensend and Andre Sipitowski and other people on the team that the Swiss team that I rode for. In retrospect at 50, I would say that the most valuable things that I got out of cycling and living in Europe was essentially the ability to adapt and learn failure and come back from failure. And then also just the camaraderie from the team. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I was on an amazing team that had a very good sort of collaborative framework. And I, I still have dear friends that I that I rode with and talked to regularly. But I think it's those lessons that to me made it in some ways even easy to come to the business world. My undergrad and, and grad were in finance and you know then i was in investments for a long time before i founded my first company but i remember many days when maybe a colleague would be saying how hard the day was and i thought to myself wow this seems a lot easier than racing a bicycle for me it was like my college i was in europe for 4 years i like i said i have many of those people are still very dear friends of mine and i talk to them you know fairly regularly i think Everybody should have that type of experience. And I think sports provides a very, very interesting venue to learn a lot of those lessons.
0: Your answer was so unexpected to me because I thought it would be something about kind of like, you know, the preparation, the practice or the routines that you develop and the discipline that comes along with that. And I love that the biggest thing that you took away from it is actually the mental side of it and specifically around losing. And when you look at a guy, uh, and, and I mean, please take this as a sincere compliment, it's meant to be who I think could very easily be labeled a very big winner in his professional life. I think, you know, these lessons in losing and how that shaped you as a leader, I think that's really profound. I can't help but say I love that as a guy who's got a podcast called Oh Shit, that's about, you know, helping to understand that it's okay to fail. And then that's part of the journey i mean you you couldn't have had a better ship moment for me so thank you for that i think this this is the big lesson that i want people to like take away above all else when they tune in i put at a
1: very high level in terms of my learning experience the discipline that you have to have no matter which sport you're going after to try to achieve your goals in many respects i loved the training i loved the Hours and hours and hours, the tens of thousands of miles a year riding a bike. I loved that part of it, but I would say the biggest lessons came from, frankly, losing over and over and over.
0: I love that. Super interesting. I want to go back into those routine of kind of practice and the mindset uh, in a minute. You mentioned a second ago, kind of how you'd kind of gone through the finance world at one point, and as I was you know, reviewing your career, one of the things that I found so interesting about the career is that you actually did start in the finance world at one point from working on being like a kind of, you know, the information business, if you will, for mutual funds at Reuters. And then you were an investment director at Wellington Management. So you were all in this finance world. And then all of a sudden you founded Map My Fitness. How did that happen? It seemed like it was like kind of came out of the blue and it was a pretty big come out of the blue in a very awesome way. It seemed like a massive divergent moment for you.
1: My parents, who I'm, you know, I wouldn't say super close to, but they were always surprised because they were entrepreneurs. Like my dad, and he had an antique furniture business, and yeah. my mom was an entrepreneur in a whole bunch of ways. And
0: my mom they, was antiques, by the way.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they were always surprised that I went into finance and wore a suit and tie and cufflinks every day and for over a decade. I think there was always a part of me that. I felt like eventually I wanted to do something on my own. Unfortunately, I had a very good friend of mine, a colleague that I worked very closely with, a guy named Jed McKnight, who unfortunately passed away on a rafting trip, um, you know, had a hard incident. And hmm. he and I had been talking about businesses that we might try together and things that we might do. They were more in the finance area. But I think that when that happened, it gave me a lot of confidence to sort of say, like, life is short, and I need to go try this. Now, the Map My Fitness idea was, in many respects, very serendipitous. I was in Europe, which I had done. You know, I'd gone back to Switzerland and Italy many times after I quit racing to take, you know, sometimes friends of mine from the U.S. and meet friends of mine in Europe. And I was one night, I was sitting in a small town called Andermatt in the Swiss Alps. And uh, basically somebody said, Oh, it'd be cool. Like if I could come back to these roads that, you know, without you being here. And that was immediately like this sort of like aha moment of like, wait a minute, like there's travel books, but there's no way for me to share like a route that I created with you. And I kind of knew a little bit about what was going on with Google Maps. And then I met my Co-founder, Kevin Callahan, who actually works at Outside and now is our VP of product here at Outside. And so I met him and he was really a runner and I was the cyclist. And we got the sites up, you know, pretty quickly. And there was a lot of serendipity in that even before mobile, which, you know, again, we got very lucky and had two of the first hundred iPhone apps. We had a million users on the web before the iPhone even launched, you know, so it was the right product we were early, like we were the first, like there was a few other little tiny things out there. um, But realistically, like we were the first and we kind of had this vision of going into all these categories, map my hike and map my try and map my run. It was really, really good timing. And for me, it was such a natural fit because it was like business with my passion for outdoors and activity. So they kind of came together in this very, you know, sort of authentic way. And Part of the reason why I think MapMyFitness was so successful was because both Kevin and myself, we just loved these categories that we were in.
0: Nothing better than when you love what you do, and I think that's one of the most literal examples. I was definitely a user. I had downloaded MapMyRun at one point. Unfortunately, I think it, all it did was map how lazy I was, but uh, I, I know a lot of other people who are great runners really appreciated it. So one of the things i love asking you know entrepreneurs who've had some great success in their career i'm guessing it was this company but maybe i'm wrong was there kind of an inflection point for you this kind of moment where if something clicked and you're like oh i think this is going to get big or you know you kind of sense that your life was kind of changing in a major way life different i mean i don't think until
1: kevin plank called me out of the blue that I thought my life was going to be different because I was just, I mean, as you know, building a business is a lot of little steps, right? Sometimes you have these big wins. We were featured many times by Apple. So the, the app store launched in July of 2008 and it was a little bit like crickets. Like we had two apps in there and we were like, oh, this is going to be huge. And then it wasn't huge. It was like, it was sort of just a little, you know, trickle of people downloading the app. But by Christmas... Obviously, the markets were melting down. I mean, it was like the whole world was going to end by you know November of 2008. Lehman had gone under, and Fed was still trying to figure out what to do in the Treasury. But AT&T had the exclusive for the phone, for the iPhone. Yeah. And AT&T did this huge spread for Holiday across the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, all of these different huge publications, Barron's, etc. And they featured... Map my ride as one of the apps on those advertisements across everything, and I sort of knew I was like, yeah, this is going to be yeah. bigger than I think. I mean, I remember when I started trying to raise capital in in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and I went to see venture capitalists, and they were like, "No one's ever going to run a ride with their phone. That's <laughs> not a thing." And I was like, no, "No, no, no, everyone's going to do it. I don't know what you mean. It's like safety, music, yeah. you know." calling your family if you need to like it's got your mapping it's got like all these tools you can use while you're out essentially I was tunnel vision that everyone was gonna run a ride or hike with a phone but a lot of venture capitalists were like that market's not big that don't don't even waste your time like with that so it was very good timing a lot of life in some ways right is it's good timing.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that some of those VCs will add that to the list of random things they just didn't see. (laughs) They couldn't see the future on. So Uh, I don't know about you, like that old show, Silicon Valley, I couldn't watch it. It was funny to everyone else but me. It used to give me like PTSD, reminding me of like VC pitches. (laughs) Anyway, I really want to focus on outdoor, but I think maybe your development and growth as a leader without touching on Under Armour. And you mentioned Kevin a second ago. so. You sold MapMyFitness to Under Armour, I believe it was in December of 2013, and then you went on to become the chief digital officer of Under Armour, which is a notable role and a very notable company, and arguably some of their most notable years. I'd love to hear just about maybe some of the things you were doing there, and then I want to kind of talk about how that impacted you next.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, luckily... I had experience with being an executive in big companies even before I founded MapMy. So I had some framework from Reuters of mm-hmm. being from a strategic perspective in a big company, as well as just kind of some of the politics that happened inside of big companies. And Under Armour was big then. I mean, it was over 10,000 people. You know, when I got there, it was a lot that Under Armour really hadn't invested in digital that much at all. They just didn't have a big team. They didn't have any engineers. They were outsourcing e-commerce they really did not have a definitive social strategy, you know, so a lot of it was first bringing all of those pieces together, like e together with Matt, my fitness together with digital marketing, hired some amazing people. I use an example, the CMO of Bose is a guy named Jim Mollica, who I hired. Jason Rose is running another company that ran e-commerce. It was a real unique time at Under Armour. The team was, you know, really amazing. Kevin basically was like, okay, like. You know, we need a real digital strategy that brings all these pieces together. And we created a product called Under Armour Record. And then we bought some other companies like MyFitnessPal and Endemondo. And mm-hmm. the idea was that we were going to basically be kind of like the health monitoring tool for you the calories in your weight. Mm-hmm. We, we launched some hardware and we were going to bring all of that together in a picture. And we successfully got there. But then in 2016, Really, there were some challenges with the core business. And so, like, basically, Under Armour had to start defunding some mm. of the tech, you know, sort of connected fitness pieces. And, mm. you know, I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. I mean, the story I say is that I went to Kevin in 2016. And I said, Look, I think we can build a billion dollar subscription business with the assets we have if we get into content and sort of compete with Red Bull and other people that were getting, you know, obviously big into content. Mm-hmm. And Kevin just said, We had invested a billion dollars. <clears throat> And he was like, we just don't have any more money to keep pushing into mm. the category. So, you know, a little bit like I was like, OK, it's time to go. I had a non-compete. Mm-hmm. I went to do something completely different, not completely different, but it was in the healthcare world uh, yeah. running Relix. I tell the story about when you put e-commerce together with, with you know, sort of utility. We did these very, very simple things. Like if you ran 100 miles and mapped my run, I sent you a 40% off gift code to underunder.com. And that translated into a lot of business. Instead of just buying users in Facebook and Instagram, we had our own audience of 250 million people, unique people on the platform. So it was enormous, right? And so we were leveraging all of that to basically grow the e-commerce business and really create a more personalized framework for the average consumer around, you know, whether it be their running and their food and, you know, weight and everything. And so it was kind of a magical time. I have a huge amount of loyalty to Kevin. He changed my life. By buying my fitness, but it was chaotic. I mean, there was it
0: was,
1: it was, it was, it was,
0: it was fast. You know, yeah. I'm obviously looking from an outsider, and when it seemed like things were moving really, really, really fast, and I'm sure the growth was pretty bonkers, and just trying to kind of keep up with it all and make sense of it. I think everyone was getting really hot on the connected, you know, sports devices and so on. So you probably had a lot of competition there, you know, whether it's wearables or you know, sports. Clothing or whatever that was all connected. Anything you would have done differently? Any kind of great you know, kind of learning curves, maybe that you might apply to like future things that you try and build or develop as a company?
1: We got pretty big into hardware, and we launched mm-hmm. a huge partnership for what was called the Health Box with HTC. Mm-hmm. We launched shoe they still sell today that has a chip in it called Hover that is still selling well. Like. I followed Kevin's lead on getting into hardware. I I didn't really want to be in the hardware business. I mean, hardware has the word hard in it for a reason. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of Aura. There are companies like Wahoo and others that just do a tremendous job on hardware. And I've been an investor in a number of hardware companies. Man, it's hard. It's
0: more fun when they're doing it and you're investing than you're building it yourself, I get the impression.
1: (laughs) I just think hardware is really tricky and very hard to get right for the customer. And that's one of the reasons why I love software is because Mm -hmm. like something's wrong. You can push an update quickly.
0: There's something sexy about making something as digital guys. I can identify with you as like making something this physical. Another buddy of mine's getting in the space now. I'm scared for him. So I, I'm going to encourage him to watch this episode. <laughs> I'd like to jump forward in your career a bit to the present day and your roles as the CEO and founder of Outside. What I think is so interesting about the portfolio you build is basically you've taken lots of different aspects of all this accumulated experience that you've had over your entire career, and it's basically in one firm. I feel the the breadth of your life in this business. I mean, you've got content, you've got experiences, you've got community, you've got a commerce aspect, you've got the utility aspect, from like your old firm. But I'd love to hear in your own words and for our audience you more about what you're building and outside.
1: Yeah, I mean, we certainly started with content as the beachhead of the thing that we thought there needed to be more synchronicity. And some of that was from the data that I had from my which is that mm-hmm the average customer in our database does at least three activities. So they're like, maybe they're doing yoga, running, and skiing, as an example, or they're, you know, backpacking, surfing, and snowboarding. And so knowing that, a lot of these properties before were very, very siloed. Um, They didn't have any first-party login. They didn't have membership. So I just fundamentally, one is, to be clear, a lot of the businesses we bought were distressed. They were still doing print, but print was losing a ton of money. They were- Media is hard,
0: another hard way
1: I I certainly get my fair share of criticism. What I often say is like, I took on a challenge of trying to reinvent many of these media businesses, and it is very, very hard. And I've had, you know, like my team and I have had to make incredibly hard decisions. Like when we got out of print for most of the publications with the obsession outside earlier this year, I mean, I love print. I would have loved to stay in print, but we were losing millions of dollars Mm -hmm. on print. And you can't do that in perpetuity, especially in this environment. And we could talk about all the challenges in this environment. I just felt like there was an opportunity to bring all of these experiences closer together, create a more personalized experience for the customer with the primary goal of how do I get people outside more? How do I inspire them? How do I activate them? And then ultimately, how do I reward them for that outdoor time? Because again, we're competing, my opinion is we're competing with reward systems like video games. That is the type of thing that we are comparing ourselves to because that is what's pulling people's attention from being outside. Same thing with screens. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of embedded behavioral science behind your iPhone Mm -hmm. and we're competing with that to get you outside. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, like all of these things are doing things to micro reward you. And we are competing with that to get you outdoors. And so the way I think about it is like bringing all of these things together is ultimately about how do we create a competitive framework to the things that are drawing your attention away from the outdoors. It's yeah. interesting.
0: With so much diversity in the business, I'm intrigued. I know you're not supposed to have favorites within a group of companies like that, but I guess it's kind of like children, if you know what I mean. Taking the business passion out of it, just your personal passion, is there any kind of properties within the kind of outside empire that you're kind of most excited about? Not to put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> well, while well, we certainly... Have our challenges. Cycling is our second biggest category, and yeah. I'm hugely passionate about it. Obviously,
0: close to home, yeah.
1: Everything cycling. Um, although there are very, very hard decisions we've had to and will have to make in that category, just as we brought so many different pieces together. Yeah. I have a story about outside the magazine, which it, for me, it does have a very unique place for me, which is in. 1979, my dad came home, and my parents were divorced, so I was sometimes with my dad, sometimes with my mom. But he came home and he threw an outside magazine at me and he said, "I want you to read up on it. This is where we're going." And so on the front of outside was Arches National Park in Utah, and we were headed there, so I cut out every picture, I read every article, you know, and then we went on this amazing backpacking trip there. And I always tell that story in that there was sort of like when Larry Burke, the founder of Outside, My mom lives in Santa Fe, and I went to see him in 2019. And I said, hey, if you ever sell outside, I'd love the opportunity to buy it. It was a unique moment when he called me a year later and said, I'm going to sell the whole thing, TV channels, magazine, and everything. So the outside brand, in my opinion, in the category of outdoor, there isn't a better brand that aligns with our mission of getting everybody outside. I would say that certainly the outside brand, I think about a lot and certainly have, you know, sort of legacy with it. We named the company after yeah.
0: Brian. I mean, it's, it's got awesome, I think, brand recognition. And to your point, I think there's a lot of nostalgia with some folks with it you know, that had been reading it for a really, really long time. I Just before the show today, I actually mentioned it to another chap that I was working with. He was like, oh, that's so cool. I can't wait to see that one. So he instantly clicked and said he'd been you know, read for, for years and years. So I thought that was really cool. I want to kind of go back to the original theme of the show. So, you know, you've kind of gone from top role to top role. You could argue you've been going really hard, really intensely across these big roles for a number of years at a lot of growing companies. I want to kind of liken your career on some level to a little bit of an endurance sport to go at the level that you're going, at the speed you're going, with the intensity you're going. Is there some trick? Is it genetic or is it like something you've practiced at to be able to perform professionally in the business world like someone would if they were a professional or semi-professional athlete? I mean, I think that, again, one thing that you learn
1: from sports, and I really don't care what sport it is, Mm -hmm. but is like, you do understand that as you put more and more effort into it, That you see those returns and it might look like this, like a Mm -hmm. stock chart, you know, like it's never just up into the right. I mean, it just isn't, you know, and even Matmai was a decade long endeavor. There was a great post the other day on LinkedIn and someone was referring to building a business like compounding interest, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to wake up every day and just incrementally. Like same in training, you have to incrementally put that effort in. You have to know sometimes when to rest or, you know, you were mentioning when people get sick as entrepreneurs, it tends to be when there's a lull rather than when you really put the effort in. So I think that that type of training is very similar to building a business, which is like, you got to be able to see the bigger picture, longer term, what your big goals are. But you have to put the work in every single day. And sometimes that's really hard. We've made very hard decisions this year in the changing economy and had to do a couple of layoffs, which was incredibly difficult Yeah. in my career when I've had to do that. Is it easy? It never
0: gets easier. You
1: know? Never gets easier. Never. And I don't yeah. stop thinking about it. I mean, I think about mm-hmm. each individual and the position that we had to put them in. And sometimes I see people go get even better roles and sort of yeah, grow. That's them. good. That. that part is good. But I think that you just have to keep kind of putting one foot in front of the other, bring your team on board with that vision, get people aligned and keep pushing forward. I mean, we're 375 people and I still consider us a startup, Mm -hmm. right? You have to just keep kind of cranking.
0: I love this concept in your training, like for anyone who goes to the gym or even focusing on weight loss, like you yeah. gain, then you kind of plateau a little bit and then you've got to kind of push through to the next one and you'll have these couple steps forward, couple steps back. But I think the key is as long as there's more step forward than back, you're kind of doing it right. Again, I sense this kind of theme of like mental fortitude more than anything else. This accepting of like, Hey, you can lose sometimes. It doesn't mean you've lost the war you might lose the odd fight here but you know the odd battle but as long as you win the war at the end of the day i think you're in a good spot if you were to kind of to look at other leaders are there or even aspiring leaders which are you know a big part of the audience of Oship, what kind of tips would you give other leaders or aspiring leaders effectively to be more successful in, in their careers is there any work tips or habits that you can think of that you have that you think help other people to be successful
1: I think you can't lose focus on the big picture vision that you have. I see a lot of entrepreneurs and work with a lot of entrepreneurs that I feel like they get kind of too caught up in the minutia and maybe don't delegate that well, or they don't necessarily hire the right team. And by the way, hiring the right team is incredibly hard. It's hard to get the right co-founders, as you know, it's hard to get the right team together and, you know, kind of like I don't know. I mean, you could use an example like a Super Bowl winning NFL team. The chemistry is totally different than Mm -hmm. the team finishes last in the NFL. It takes turnover sometimes in that team to get to that moment where you have that magic to be able to Mm have an exit or go IPO or, you know, get the product right. I think it's a lot about building the right team and continuously sort of like trying to get. To almost perfection with that team. Mm. It's not a real thing. Perfection is the enemy of innovation. Yeah. Right. You know, so like, I'm not suggesting that founders try to get to perfection. It's
0: unattainable. And I think when people do think they got it totally perfect, then that, that to your point, can kind of breed a little bit of, uh, I don't want to call it laziness, but just lack of innovation. I do think it was interesting that you brought along your former colleagues to be the VP of product. So there's certainly some sense that, like, if you got a great team, yeah, you can bring some of those people along, but I think there's some merit. You've got to inj- inject some of the new blood and then you've got some of the old blood, the old magic, and then hopefully that creates a new kind of yeah, perfect storm. I often talk to teams about this. I've
1: been very fortunate that a lot yeah. of people I've worked with in the past are working with me. Like my CFO and I work together at Helix. My chief people officer and I work together at Helix. I have other Helix employees that work for us. I have other my fitness employees that work for us, right? And it's about that balance between new and people that you've worked with for a long time, because there's certainly a bit of security and the trust that's built with teams that have worked with together before.
0: It's a collector of great people, it sounds like. So I want to be conscious of time for this week's episode. You know, it would not be a ship if I didn't ask an Oship question. For those of you who are joining our ship for the first time today, one of the things we always try to do is ask some of these great guests like Roman about their careers, but we also like to kind of ask about a moment where things maybe have kind of gone off the rails or wrong for them and how they handled it. And sometimes maybe these can be moments where, you know, something went wrong and it made them rethink how they were a leader or shifted how they approach business or the world or just even life. Sometimes it's maybe none of those things. Maybe it's something that kind of went off the rails as a little crazy and, wasn't very funny when it happened, but it's really funny in hindsight. We're open to any form of ship story, but I would love to hear if you've got one you're willing to share, Robin.
1: Well, I mean, in some ways, I mean, I'm living it right now. You know, as I said, there were a number of distressed assets that we bought in the media space. And while I had spent a decade at Reuters... I mean, the challenge of trying to reinvent the media business in light of what's going on with social media and sort of the entire ecosystem about how people consume information, and the mix between the ad business and building a membership business and bringing some of these other things in, like utilities and all of these pieces. I mean, we did 21 acquisitions in 24 months, wow. and it's daunting, frankly. And I'm very humble in that. I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, but I'm definitely having that sort of "oh ship moment in that like, it's tough. I mean, this is not for the weak hearted in terms of trying to reinvent a media business and sort of what's going on in the world of media. I don't consider us really just media. I mean, we're trying to build a platform for consumers that is highly personalized and different than what they got before. But I'm also very sensitive to the fact that we have brands that have been around. I mean, Ski Magazine has been around for 82 years. Warren Miller Films has been around for 74 years. And I believe that I I try to think a lot about how important those brands are to people. But there are incredibly hard decisions. Like, as I mentioned, we got rid of print that, you know, we were taking things away from people that they had gotten for a long, long time. And that's hard for some people. And so I just think. At many levels, you have to stay humble. Frankly, in many respects, you have to stay humble enough to apologize that sometimes you're wrong. And in some ways, I would say right now, I'm probably having my biggest "oh ship moment that I've had in my career.
0: I didn't actually mention this to you when we met earlier, but I was the CMO of a media uh, network called Scout. That was a sports-focused network, had everything from college sports to even hunting magazines and things like that. So a little bit of the outside stuff. It's a really, really, really hard business. And I've met some great people in in the media space over the years and had quite a few of them on their ship. And it's definitely been something that we talk about a lot. I think that the way you're approaching it with the mix is really the right strategy but when you make that many acquisitions that quickly, it puts a real a real stress to find this alignment. The brands and the audiences can line up, but trying to get the people and the organization and the energy and the culture and everyone running in one direction to inject that many different cultures together is a hard one. Well, I may have to follow up with you on that one to get the final outcome of that Oship oh story, but... I'm really excited for you. And I think if anyone could pull it off, we're, I'm confident you can. I'm sure our audience is as well. I want to ask you one final question for today's show. As I have mentioned multiple times, you've had such an interesting kind of career run, touched in so many different parts of the business. But if you were uh, to could go back in time and speak to your kind of 18-year-old self right now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I would probably tell myself that it is the long game i I mean in many respects the reason i say that is like i do have regrets about selling matt my fitness to under armor and seeing kind of what's happened to it now and probably could have played a longer game there because that company has 65 million users now it had 20 million when i sold it so i think i would tell myself to really think about the long game the other thing i would say is like always treat people with respect because I think it's a very hard world and you need your friends and you need your allies. And I think treat people with respect. And to me, even the way we think about outside, like when I mean everybody being outside, I literally mean everybody. Like it isn't for a specific person. I think everybody needs to spend time outside, whether you're young, you're old, no matter what community you come from, And I think that's the long game is like, you know, people's health is absolutely the most important thing.
0: What a great, positive, perfect place to kind of end today's episode, Robin. I'd love to give people a chance to connect with you after the show. If they want to learn more about you or follow your kind of exploits, what's the best way for people to connect with you or follow you? LinkedIn's the best place. That's my jam too these days. I'm with you. Great. Well, perfect. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will check you out there. I do want to thank you again for joining us today. I've been really, really enjoying the chat. You're a very inspiring guy. For the, all of the audience who are tuning in, whether you're tuning in via video on our channels like YouTube or LinkedIn or Facebook, or you're tuning in on any of our audio podcasts, thank you, thank you, thank you for subscribing and, and following and, and tuning into this week's O'Ship. We really appreciate it. You want to make the show worthwhile. And you know, we're going to keep delivering these episodes every week. And the best thing you can do to support us is give us a like, follow us, or if you're feeling really generous uh, and you really enjoyed this week's episode, you know, share it with a friend. Raman, thanks again. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And we'll see everyone on next week's OSHIP. Thanks, Freddie.